Thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to gather together in this place tonight to consider things that angels find intriguing, to consider things that will make a difference in our lives for eternity. And Father, we realize and recognize that your word is a spiritual book and spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So we ask, dear Lord, that you'd please bless us with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this room, that you'd fill our hearts, that you'd fill our minds, that you'd speak to us in a personal and intimate way, and that you'd give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to us tonight. Bless us, speak to us, inspire us, motivate us, and challenge us to live a life of purpose, a life for the Lord Jesus. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Our message tonight, a life that could have been. I want to begin by sharing with you the true story of Captain America. His name is Alan Jones. This is not the fictional uh, Marvel's version, but this is the true version. Captain Alan Jones, Captain America, he is known in, 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 on the internet. He died uh, not long ago, but uh, he's one that uh, was born in the state of Virginia. He was a promising child that had a bright future ahead of him. But when he was five years of age, he was uh, struck with polio, a disease, a disorder that can leave a person disabled and immobile and uh, brings muscle weakness. But despite this disability, Alan would not allow this to stop him from doing amazing things in his life. He later became a captain in the United States Marine Corps. He also earned the title of being the fittest man on earth. And he held the world record for the most amount of sit-ups, continuous sit-ups. And how many of you like to guess how, many, how, how much that was? The most amount of sit-ups, continuous sit-ups. 500? Not even close. 1,000? Not even close. 17,003. How, how many of you can do 1,000 sit-ups? Oh, we got one. <laughs> Amazing, but that's not the least of it. I want you to notice in a 15-month period, Captain Alan Jones accomplished what is arguably the most astonishing array of physical achievements in in history. Here's what he did in a 15-month period. Number one, he lifted a 75-pound barbell over his head 1,600 times in just 19 hours. He made 3,800 basketball free throws in 12 hours with a 96% hit rate. He swam 500 miles in 11 days down a river to the ocean, skip rope 43,000 times in just five hours, skip rope 100,000 times in 23 hours, swam 68 miles in a swimming pool without a sleeping break, swam a half a mile in zero degrees Celsius water without a wetsuit, which is amazing, and he performed 51,000 sit-ups in 76 hours. And to top it all off, This man, who is known as the fittest man on earth, I have to just throw this in, he's also a vegetarian. (laughs) He gets all of his protein from the same place that the strongest animals in the world get their protein, like like, like animals like elephants and gorillas, a plant-based diet. Now, how many of you think that that's pretty amazing? How many of you think you can come close to doing at least one thing on this list? Oh, friends, no matter how physically strong we are, we have nothing to boast about. I want us to notice what the Bible calls and how the Bible defines what true strength is. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. 
Isaiah chapter 40, our message entitled, A Life That Should Have Been. A Life That Could Have Been. We're going to the book of Isaiah chapter 40, where we read a very powerful and beautiful promise. It says right here in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 30, and if you're there, would you please say amen. It says, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Even though we might be strong physically, Bible tells us that human strength is finite and limited. Our mortal lives are temporal. Even Superman is a quadriplegic. So even though we we might be strong physically, human power has limits. But notice the promise of power that God gives us in the next verse. Verse 31, very familiar verse. It says, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Bible tells us that when we wait upon the Lord, he will make us a people of power. And we might not get big muscles and be strong like Captain America, but God will give us a faith that cannot be shaken and a purpose that cannot be moved. And my friends, in these last days, we need such a faith in order to endure the testing times that are coming our way. Like we talked about last night, the winds of strife are beginning to blow and they're going to just get stronger and stronger and more and more intense. And only those who are strong in faith, only those who have this resolute determination to stand for Christ will make it through that testing time. And so what does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Tonight, I want, I want to share with you as well as tomorrow night, the story of the strongest, but also the weakest man in the Bible. One that could have done so much for God. A life that could have been, should have been, and would have been great, but unfortunately, it was not. It's a very familiar character in the Bible. Who are we talking about tonight? We're talking about Samson, who is the strongest but also the weakest man in the Bible. But before we do that, uh, and take your Bible and go with me to the book of Judges, chapter 13. Judges, chapter 13. And as you're turning there, allow me to give you the context of this story. This story takes us back to a time when Israel was setting down in the promised land. The 40 years of wandering were finished, and God's promise was fulfilled. Israel had entered into the land of promise, Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. But there was still a work to be done when they entered into the land. God told Moses to tell the people that when they enter into the land of promise, that they had to utterly drive out the squatters of the land, all the inhabitants, these wicked idolaters. If not, these people would end up becoming a snare and a stumbling block to the people of God. And so even though they landed in Canaan, there was still a work to be done. But notice, instead of driving out the wicked inhabitants of the land, notice what Judges chapter 1 and verse 28 says that they did. It came to pass that when Israel was what? Strong. That they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. At the height of their strength, they demonstrated spiritual weakness. Upon their settlement in Canaan, The tribes of Israel failed in completing the conquest of the land. They became comfortable in the reality that they were in Canaan. 
And as a result, they become complacent in spirituality. They thought to themselves, you know, the territory is already gained. And so why not benefit from the people of the land by taxing them? And so they did not utterly drive them out. They failed short of perfect obedience to God. And this decision to try to gain uh, and benefit from the enemy would lead to their ruin. The Bible tells us that these people ended up becoming stumbling blocks, a thorn in their side, the Bible says. And as we think about the history of the Israelites in entering into the land of Canaan, many times we have made the exact same mistake. Sometimes we think that we can trifle with sin and benefit from what sin offers to us. But my friends, we cannot play or negotiate with the enemy. If we're planning on landing in the heavenly Canaan, we must allow the Lord to utterly drive out the enemy from our lives. And this is what Israel did not do. But God is calling us to allow him to do it for us. We're in a war between good and evil. It's called the great controversy. We are all born on a battlefield, and we must make a decision which side we're going to be on. For the Bible tells us that no man can serve two masters, and that God does nothing in partnership with the devil. But Israel allowed the remnant of these idolatrous nations to remain in the land, and as a result, as I mentioned, they ended up being pricks in their eyes and thorns in their sides, and that's what introduces the time of the judges. And when you read the whole book of Judges, when you do a study on it, it's like a roller coaster of faithfulness and apostasy. Spiritual heights of victory followed by satanic lows of painful defeat. It was a roller coaster of apostasy. The Bible tells us in Judges chapter 2 verse 10 that there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers. And then it describes that generation. It says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Morality became relative. And everyone simply walked after their own desires, their own, what they thought was right to themselves. It's a fit description of the world that we live in today when morality is relative, that everything is relative. What's wrong for you may not be wrong for me. What's right for you may not be right for me. Everything is relative, even morality. That's the mindset of our postmodern world. And as a result, it affected the church back in these times. It's affecting the church even today. Up and down, back and forth, in and out, a roller coaster of apostasy. That's what the entire book of Judges is about. And maybe, just maybe, we can relate with that tonight. Roller coaster religion, spiritual heights of victory, and spiritual lows of defeat. We don't want that roller coaster religion, amen? Up and down, sometimes on fire for the Lord, other times excited about the world. Back and forth, in and out, we have inconsistent, unstable spiritual lives. But tonight we want to find out what is the secret of spiritual strength and spiritual stability in these times of great apostasy. It was during one of those spiritual lows that God rose up a mighty deliverer. And he would be known as the strongest, but also the weakest the strongest and the weakest man that ever lived. And so tonight, we, we don't have the time to look at every detail of Samson's life. We'll do a little bit tonight, a little bit tomorrow night. But basically what we want to find out is what made the strongest strong. 
And then we want to examine what made, what made the weakest weak. Tonight we'll deal with the strength of Samson that will show us how we can be strong young people who will be able to stand in these last days. And then tomorrow night we'll examine what made him weak and what makes us weak as well. And so notice we're in Judges chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. And if you're there, would you please say amen? amen. Judges chapter 13 and verse 1. And uh, can somebody remind me what time I'm supposed to pray? Anybody? 8.30. All right. Beautiful. Judges chapter 13, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord, the Lord delivered them into the, land, into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and you have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, nor to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a what? A Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. So here we read an angelic forecast of the birth of a mighty deliverer. We see God using the frailness of humanity to set his people free from the troublesome Philistines. God chooses a woman that is stricken in years. She is old. She is barren. She is incapable of having children. It's impossible, impossible for her to have a child. But the Bible says that with God, what? All things are possible. You see, we find here that God delights showing his strength through the weakness and frailty of humanity. Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You see, friends, one of the first steps to receiving spiritual strength and stability in these last days is to recognize our own weakness and frailty. And let me tell you, friends, God can use anyone he is not dependent upon our own strength, our own abilities, our own wisdom or resources, nor is God limited by our lack of those things. The only thing God is dependent upon is a willing heart, a willingness to be used by him. Let me tell you, friends, I'm not a smart person. Growing up, I burnt a lot of my brain cells doing drugs. I'll share a little bit more about my testimony perhaps tomorrow, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home and I, I damaged my mind with, uh, with substance abuse, and, uh, and I was very slow of speech. I had straight Fs in high school, not standing for fantastic either. I was failing every single class. I would, go, I would go to school, but I would never go to class. I went to high school simply to get high. That's why they call it high school, right? <laughs> Burning up my brain cells and chasing the world. And let me tell you, friends, my mind was weak. But when I gave my life to Christ, I started filling my mind with the truths of the Bible. And this same word that created light when there was nothing but darkness. This same word that, that created worlds into existence. This word that creates something when there's absolutely nothing began to restore all those burnt brain cells. And God began to give me wisdom 
and spiritual strength. And let me tell you what happened. I was going to a public high school, and that's when I was getting all the straight F's when I was living my life for, the, for myself and for the world. But when I gave my life to Christ, I transferred to the Christian Academy there in Hawaii, Hawaiian Mission Academy. And let me tell you, the academic level was twice as high, was twice as hard. But from having straight F's, I was able to graduate with straight A's by the grace of God. Amen. Young people, you want to have spiritual strength and mental strength? It's found in the Word of God. God is not dependent on your skills, your ability. It's when the first step in receiving spiritual strength and stability is when we recognize our own weakness and frailty. And then God can show himself strong in us. For the Bible says, when I am weak, then am I strong. And so God chose a woman stricken in years to bring forth a mighty deliverer. And this child's existence was called forth by the prophetic word of God. The angel came to give this prophecy, you will conceive and this child will be a Nazarite from the womb and he will begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. In other words, Samson was a miracle child. He was to be God's instrument of liberation and freedom to the people of God. And his strength, that which made Samson strong was, I summarize, in two main things. How many things? Two things I want you to remember before we close tonight. His strength was found, number one, in knowing and remembering his identity. And number two, his strength was, was found in knowing and remembering his purpose. This is what made him strong. His identity, Samson knew exactly who he was. He was to be a man of God. And his purpose he knew exactly why he was called forth into the world. He was to deliver the people of God. You see, Samson's identity was rooted in his origin. Listen carefully. And his origin was from God. God willed for Samson to exist. His word brought forth his being. He was created with a purpose and a plan a divine plan for his life. In other words, Samson was not an accident. The divine designer had a merciful motive in mind in the bringing forth of Samson into this world. And that which was said of Samson can be said of you and me tonight. Friends, you are not an accident. There's a divine purpose and plan that God has for your life. When I was conceived 32 years ago, you know my age, it came as an unexpected, unwelcome, and unwanted surprise to my parents. My mom was young, my dad was immature, and they were not married when I was conceived. And as a result, they were not ready or wanting a child. My mom was tempted to have an abortion. My dad did not discourage that idea because in their human eyes, I was an accident. I was not wanted at first, but thank God I'm here, amen? That's me. <laughs> because I, why am I here? Because let me tell you, young people, in God's eyes, he wanted me. In God's eyes, I was not an accident. Despite the sinful circumstances that brought me into this world, God still had a sacred plan and purpose for my life. For every life, God has a plan for, and all life is sacred. What God said about Samson and what is said about Jeremiah the prophet is said and is true of us. Let's read this together, shall we? Jeremiah 1 verse 5, the Bible says, this is God speaking to us. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. 
And before thou camest forth from the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Here God speaks to Jeremiah, but it's said of every person that comes into the world, before you were even conceived in the womb, I knew you. For God knows all things. He sees the end from the beginning. I knew you. I sanctified you. In other words, I set you apart for a purpose. And I ordained you. I put my hands upon your life for you to do something special. Oh, my friends, don't ever forget that you were created with a divine intention and a sacred purpose. Don't allow the devil to tell you anything different about your life. Your life does count. Your life does matter. Your life is valuable. We were born before we were born. God knew us. He sanctified us and he ordained us to do great things for him in these last days. You're not simply here to fill empty space. God has something for you to do that no one else can do in the whole universe because of the unique character and personality and life experiences that made you what you are, that's making you what you are today. And God will give you wisdom. I know that in this phase of your life, in, co- in the college years, you're trying to find out what is my purpose in life? What is it that God would have me to do? Why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And perhaps those questions are not yet answered in your own mind. God will reveal to you the specifics on what you're to do. But let me just give you the underlying purpose for your life. The purpose of our existence is twofold. Number one, it is to know him. And number two, it's to make him known to others. For the Bible says that, that God has created us for his glory. To know Christ And to make Christ known, that is the reason for all of our existence, to glorify God and to bless humanity. And for this purpose, Samson was separated even from birth. His identity was rooted in his origin. His origin was from God, from the prophetic word that called him forth into existence. That's the same with us. And his purpose was to deliver Israel from the enemy. That's the purpose of us as well. To to deliver souls from the kingdom of darkness. To enlist as soldiers in the army of the Lord. To fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and the power of prayer to declare war against the kingdom of darkness and to commit ourselves to building up the kingdom of light, to deliver God's people from the enemy. And that was Samson. The Bible says that he was to be a Nazarite from his birth. Now, what does this mean? You can study it for yourself in the book of Numbers chapter 6 where it describes there in Numbers chapter 6 the Nazarite vow and what it included. But let me just summarize for the sake of time. This special vow that was taken by individuals uh, included three main prohibitions. And these three prohibitions were basically to be an outward sign of their inward devotion to God. And so here are the three, and you can write them down or at least put it in your mind. Number one, those who took the Nazarite vow were to not, was not to, they were not to cut their hair. They were, uh, they were to let it grow. And this was a badge of distinction as a Nazarite. It was an outward sign of the inward uh, 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 commitment that they are living their life fully for God. A badge of distinction and dedication. Number two, they were to abstain from the fruit of the vine. From anything that came from the vine. It was a vow of temperance. A vow of what? temperance and self-denial. So the Nazarite was to live a life of distinction with, by not cutting their hair. 
Number two, they were to life, live a life of temperance by abstaining from the fruit of the vine. And number three, they were, to not, they, were, they were to not touch anything that was unclean. They were to avoid sin and avoid death. In other words, they were to live a life of holiness, a life of distinction, a life of temperance, and a life of holiness. This is what God called Samson to be, a Nazarite. That word Nazarite, it means separated, consecrated, and devoted. And this inward consecration was manifest and seen by the outward conduct of his life. His life was a life of distinction, temperance, and holiness. His was a high and holy identity, and as a result of his identity, he was to live for a high and noble purpose. The angel not only told the mother of Samson who he was to be, a Nazarite, but also his purpose, a deliverer for the people of God. And so from birth, Samson had a prophetic purpose, a divine directive, a merciful mission to accomplish. He was to lead God's people he, by his own character, by his own wisdom, by his own, the wisdom that God had given to him. By his leadership, he was to be a judge in Israel. And his name, the word Samson, it literally means to shine like the sun. What does it mean? In other words, he was to be the light of the Lord in Israel. And everything that God called Samson to be is the same thing he has called you and I to be as well. I want you to notice in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. In this passage, we find our identity and our purpose. But notice first our identity. God says, but you are a, what is that word right there? Chosen generation. A, what? Royal priesthood. Unholy nation. A peculiar people. That's your identity. Chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar. And then it describes our purpose. That, for what purpose? That you should show forth the praise of him who had called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The same way Samson was to shine like the sun, God caused us to shine his, the glorious light of his character in this world that is full of darkness. But the only way we can be light bearers and light reflectors is if we remember that we are chosen. Now notice the adjectives describing what God is calling us to be, the adjectives of our identity. The Bible says that we're chosen. Now what does that word chosen mean? Chosen, when you choose something, that means you're singling something out from the rest. You're handpicking something. When I chose my wife to be my wife, I, I, she was favored in my eyes. I was picking her amongst all the others. And that's what God has done for us. He has chosen us. Not only that, but he calls us to be royal. Now, a few days ago, we were in the kingdom of Tonga, uh, the only, uh, I, I think it's the last true kingdom in the world, perhaps, that actually has a king that has power, that makes decisions, that has nobles surrounding him. We were there on a mission trip, and uh, we learned some interesting things about uh, the kingdom of Tonga. And that is the king and the royal family, uh, they, they are different from the commoners. They have a different language that they speak. And friends, if God is calling us to be royal, we ought to speak differently from the common people of the world. Amen? Not only that, but they have a distinctive dress. They look differently. They speak differently. Their, their food is even different. And it's the same with us. Oh, my friends, never forget that you're royal. You're not common. You are children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as children of the king, that makes us what? Princes and princesses. So we can stand tall with our chin up. 
Not because we're proud thinking that we're better than others, but because we recognize that we have royal blood flowing through our veins is the, when we're covered with the blood of Jesus. Amen? Bible calls us to be royal in contrast to the common, to live to a higher standard than the rest. And then it says holy. And that word holy simply means to live a life of moral and spiritual excellence. That's what it means to be holy. And then it says peculiar. And that word peculiar does not mean weird. It means different, distinctive, and distinguishable. Can you say amen? And so this is what God has called us to be, chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar. And for what purpose? So that we could show forth, not just speak forth by our proclamation, but to show forth in our demonstration, to show forth the praises of him who had called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. To reflect the glory of God in this world of darkness. This, my friends, is not only our personal identity and purpose as individuals. But it is also our prophetic identity and purpose as a church. Just like Samson, our existence has been called forth by the prophetic word of God. The Seventh-day Adventist church is not just another denomination. friends; It is a prophetic movement of destiny called forth into existence by God himself in the book of Revelation chapter 10. And I wish I had the time to study that with you, but I want to encourage you, friends. You know, you can see the, the birth and history of the Seventh-day Adventist church right there in the prophecy of Revelation chapter 10. In other words, God willed for this movement to be in existence, and he's given us a sacred calling and mission that no other church, no other denomination has been given to lead people into the full knowledge of the character of God. To restore all the truths that have been trampled upon and almost destroyed during the dark ages. It's a movement in Revelation chapter 10 that has been called to prophesy again to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And friends, it's interesting that Judges, that was the time of, uh, the, the book is talking about the time of Judges. And in Revelation chapter 3, we see seven different churches Jesus spoke to and gave messages to. And these seven churches represent seven church ages throughout history, starting with the early apostolic church and then ending with the final church in the last days that will live to see the coming of Christ. And do you know the name of that last seventh church? What is the seventh church? Do you know? It's the church of Laodicea. And that word Laodicea, does anyone know what Laodicea means? The word Laodicea. It literally means a people being judged. In other words, it's that specific church that is living in the time of judgment, of the investigative judgment since the year 1844, when Jesus stepped into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, beginning a special cleansing work in the sanctuary above to prepare a people for the last days. That's the time that God has allowed us. That's our church. The church of Laodicea, a people who are being judged, not just judged by God, but judged by the world. People are looking at us and they're wondering, are we that chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar people? Do we know who we are, our identity? Because let me tell you, if we don't know our identity, we're not going to know our purpose. And if we don't know our purpose, 
we won't know how to make it to our destiny. Our destiny is the, is, it can only be reached if we fulfill our purpose, and our purpose can only be known if we know who we are, our identity, not only as children of God, but as a church in these last days with a special mission, a special message for a very special time. And friends, I did not have the privilege of being brought up in this church. As I mentioned, my parents, when I was conceived, they were not married. They were not Christians. They never went to church. They didn't know God. And so they could not give to me that which they did not have themselves. And so growing up, I had no idea what was God or who was God, totally ignorant of these things. And as a result, I made terrible decisions in my life, decisions I'm ashamed of. And it was only about 16 years ago that God found me, a druggie, wasting his life. He, said, he made me free from all those addictions. And when I, when I learned, when I found out who I was in Christ, and, and, and the purpose and the identity of his remnant church in these last days, let me tell you, that's when life truly began for me. It's been an amazing spiritual journey, and I want to encourage you, young people. I know that perhaps many of you have been brought up in the church, born and raised as Seventh-day Adventists, and sometimes when we're so used to something, we take it for granted, and we don't really realize what we have. I want to encourage you to make the God of your parents, the God of your fathers, to make him your own God to study these things out for yourself. As we mentioned last night, there are many things that are important for us to know. You're here in this educational institution studying for your, your life after college, the career you're pursuing, and it's important, it's wonderful. God wants to use you in that context, but what a tragedy to be prepared for this temporal life and not be prepared for eternal life. What a tragedy to be so close and yet so far. To be in his presence, but his presence not in us. You can be splashing around in water and die of thirst. Being in the water is not enough. The water must be in you. You must drink for yourself. We're being immersed here. Wonderful faculty, awesome conferences, surrounded by spiritual people. Amazing food in the cafeteria, at least I thought it was. I know somebody said, you know, it's good, but it gets old, uh, uh, you know, having the same thing. But I want to encourage young people to drink for yourself. Don't die of spiritual thirst while you're splashing around in the water of life. The problem with Laodicea is not that they're lukewarm. The problem with Laodicea is that Jesus is on the outside knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him. Jesus wants to come in, and only when he does will the hunger of our soul be satisfied. And so let's not keep him knocking on the outside. Can you say amen? Let's understand who we are in Christ as children of God, but also who we are in Christ as a church of God to recognize and to reclaim our prophetic identity so that we can fulfill our prophetic purpose in this life so that we can make it to our eternal destiny when the Lord Jesus returns. Oh, I love what it says here in the book Education. This book you ought to read, it talks about true education 
And notice what it says here. Very powerful. Page 296. To honor Christ. To become like Him. Oh, how many of you want to be like Jesus? When you study the character of Christ, you study how Jesus spoke, how Jesus loved, how Jesus had compassion on those who were the outcast of society, how Jesus lived an unselfish life of benevolence, always giving and giving and giving of his time and his resources and himself. I want to be like Jesus. And it says to honor Christ, to become like him, and to work for him is the life's, what is this word right here? Highest ambition, and it's what? Greatest joy. And so, my young friends, what are you living for today? Are you fulfilling the purpose of your existence? Or are you wasting your strength on things that only weaken you spiritually? That's what Samson did, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow evening. He had a high and holy identity, a most noble purpose. But when he studied the story of Samson's life, he chased things that only weakened him spiritually. He lived a life that could have been so great, so great. But he died half the man he could have been. He wasted his time and he wasted his life. But if you want to attain the highest heights, how many of you want to attain the highest heights you could ever reach? If you want to experience the greatest joy you could ever experience in your life, then we must make a decision that the God of our parents will be our own God. To make a decision to let Jesus make us like him, to work for him, and to honor him in our lives. Samson was strong because of two main reasons, and I close with this tonight. Reason number one, he was strong is because he understood his identity. He was to be called a man of God. His origin was from God, from the prophetic word. And because he knew who he was, he was also strong because he also knew his, his purpose. Why he was here, to deliver God's people from the hand of the enemy. And so it says in verse 24, we, we close with this, verse 24. So the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. Here, here Samson is set up for success. Godly parents, godly upbringing, godly calling, godly education, and God had blessed him with power and supernatural strength, but the strongest man that ever lived also happened to be the weakest man that ever lived. For notice what it says in the very next verse, verse 25. Notice what it says. It says, and the spirit of the Lord began to move him. What is the next two words? At times. The spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. Now that expression, the spirit began to move him at times, indicates that Samson was struggling. At times, he was moved by the Spirit, but at other times, moved by the flesh. At times, he was moved to do great things for God, other times, moved to do great things for self. Roller coaster religion, spiritual heights of victory, 
than satanic crashes and lows of painful defeat. We're going to, we're going to talk about more about that tomorrow. What made Samson weak and how we can learn from his experience. But tonight, once again, as we close, what made him strong? Two things. Number one, he knew his identity. And number two, he knew his How many of you, as we close tonight, want to say, Lord, teach me, who am I? May my identity be wrapped up in you and show me my purpose in life. Lord, I want to live my life with a purpose, not a selfish one, but a noble one that will bring me to the highest heights and allow me to experience the greatest joy. Is that your desire tonight? If so, would you please stand with me? As we close with prayer, let us, let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for reminding us of the importance of identity and knowing our purpose. And Lord, sometimes it's so confusing. Lord, I want to pray for myself and my my brothers and sisters, my young friends here tonight, that you would show us, Lord, who we are, that we would be able to see our reflection in your eyes, to see us the way that you see us, to realize that our life does count, that we're not here to fill empty space, but there is a divine purpose and something you're calling us to do that no one else can do. Lord, I pray that you would help us to reclaim that. And I, Lord, Lord, I ask that you'd put in our hearts a desire to be moved by your spirit, not at, at times, but all times. Make us strong and stable Christians. Give us victory over roller coaster religion. Give us that stability so that when the winds blow and when the Lord comes, our house will stand because it's founded upon the rock. Give us this experience as our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.